I begin today by just kind of wrapping our minds around the miracles of Jesus. The miracles of Jesus are, are, are such that he overcame those things that truly are humanly impossible. Some of those things had to do with the dark forces of evil, that he cast out demons from, from people and the, the miracles that kind of blow our mind in our everyday life. I, I think if we saw that, experienced that today, and, and uh, there are times that we do, it's just, wow, that is, that is, we know that's beyond human capacity. There were times that Jesus overcame natural things like the storms that he calmed and the water on which he walked, things that are, to us as human beings are impossible. He touched uh, blind people and people who could not walk and suddenly healed them, things that even at times the medical profession can't do, and Jesus overcame those things. He turned water into wine, all these things that seem like, wow, man, no human being can do that. In other words, when we look at Christ's life, it was as, as if nothing were impossible for him. But the challenge is that, and the surprising thing perhaps, is that there is something that was impossible for Christ. And you think, whoa, wait a minute, he's God. Is there really something that's impossible for God? There is something that's impossible for God. Do I have your attention? Because you're thinking, okay, this is either going to be good or heresy. It's going to be A or B. That's perfect. Here's the thing that Jesus could not do by just snapping his fingers. Jesus could not change the minds of human beings. You say, well, maybe you mean he would not. No, he could not. And the reason that he could not is that he was perfect. And he had set up a boundary long ago back in the Garden of Eden where he gave man and woman a choice. And he said, I will not touch that choice. I will, be, I will give them what we call free will. Otherwise, God has created robots. God has, God has created these beings that have no choice, have no will, and just by their, own, by their own mechanics, they'll just obey God and everyone would believe in God and everyone would worship God and everyone would live for God and everyone would live and give sacrificially and all those things. And you'd say, well, what's the point? I don't want to be in a relationship where I've made someone love me, made someone uh, be friends with me. So he set this boundary uh, and that boundary was fixed that he would not touch that boundary and had he crossed that boundary, then he would have crossed not only a boundary of agreement, but he would have crossed the boundary of perfection. He would have gone back on his word, and God can't go back on his, his word. He would have gone back on his ways, so he wouldn't, he couldn't go back on his ways because he is perfection. Make sense? So even though we would look at a raging storm or water turned to wine as something like, man... That is, that one is the big one. The biggest challenge that Christ faced was changing the mind, the thinking, the paradigm of men and women. And so when we, when Christ came upon these men and women and he tried to change their minds, he understood quite quick that it was the greatest thing, the greatest challenge that he faced in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12, we see these words. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? 
In other words, a guy that's got it all figured out. His mind is set. His paradigm is like concrete. It's uh, his his worldview, the way he thinks, is 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 immovable. He's wise. He's got it down. We call this in our culture, the 360 culture, system familiarity. In other words, I got a system. I know how it works. I got it down. Don't even talk to me about changing the way we do things because I'm quite familiar with that. I'm gonna. I'm set in it. That's a person who's wise in their own eyes. And Jesus met a lot of them, did he not? What the writer of Proverbs says here is, do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than him. Now, when you think of a fool and you think about the hope of a fool, you think, wow, that's not, that's not a lot of hope when I, when I look at that. You see, Jesus came along. And I'll just give you a short list of the things. You say, hey, let's think differently about some things. Let's take the Sabbath. You see, there, was, there were those there, for those of you that know the New Testament, you know it well. They're like, no, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. You can't do this, 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 this. And Jesus said, you got it all wrong. You see, you think the Sabbath was made for you. But that man was made for the Sabbath, like some rule. But he said, no, God gave you that for joy. So watch this. I'm going to go over here and pick some some food, and, and all of you are going to get so upset about it. Because, see, I'm changing a paradigm about how you think about things. I'm going to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Oh, man, they went nuts. Like, no, you can't do it that way. That's the way we did it in First Baptist in Jerusalem. See, that's what you, we always did it that way. I don't know. I've just offended people. I'm, I've been a Baptist for many, many years, and I served in a Baptist church. So all of those of you just got offended, we'll say a quick prayer, and you can leave, and we'll be fine. You can't do it that way. Jesus came along and he had lunch with those with whom you could not have lunch. That's that's against the rules. You can't eat with a tax collector. A prostitute in your house at your dinner table? Mm -mm. No, no, that's not going to work. Jesus said, I'm here to change your mind the way you think. Do you remember the disciples came up at the well where Jesus was sitting with a Samaritan, with a Samaritan? Not only was she a Samaritan, she was a female. And they were so shocked, but they were too chicken to say anything. But in their minds, they were like, this, this is something is wrong. Jesus said, I'm changing things up here. I just want to let you know. Jesus said, I have the authority to, the, the authority to forgive sins on earth. And people say, well, only God can do that. And if you do that, and if you say you can do that, then you're making yourself equal to God. He said, now you're thinking. See, now I got your attention, do I not? So when Jesus came along, he said, let me redefine sin for you. See, you thought that murder was taking out a weapon and taking someone's life physically. But may I get you to think differently that you, if you curse a brother in your heart, see, you've already murdered him. Like, what? It didn't make sense. And on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus attacks the paradigm shift. He says, I know you guys. I get it. I love you. I'm, I'm with you. I know you've been thinking this way all along. But I say to you something different. Watch, for example, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus said, I know you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. In other words, 
a physical relationship between a man and a woman outside marriage if you're already married. We, uh, we would say, okay, that's the definition of adultery. But Jesus said, can I, can, I, can I get you to think differently a little bit? He's looking at a crowd. He's probably looking them right in the eye one by one. And he's talking about adultery in another way. He says, no, it's different. I got to get you to think different. I need a paradigm shift on your part. You've heard that it says don't commit adultery. But I tell you, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. I mean, just think about standing there that day. I mean, there would have been some like, hmm, wow. There have been some that were like, okay, you got my attention. There would have been, however, others that would say, no, he's wrong. I got it. See, I'm wise in my own mind. This guy's out to lunch. I brought these two tables up here just for an illustration today that, that, that the whole point is movement. That, that people had, I'm just using this as, as a bucket, but it was big and green. That's why I picked it. There's no significance. That people are like, this is where I stand. This is how I believe things should be done. And Jesus is like, man, I'm trying to get you to move over here. And man, I can walk on water. I can do all these things, turn water into wine. I can do uh, calm storms, cast out demons. But I will not cross a boundary and make you believe something different. I won't do that to you. There is a line of perfection that I won't cross. So when you see God encounter men and women, women in the scripture, and he's, and he's trying to get them to think differently. Now, that doesn't mean we believe differently. It's not like all of a sudden we're like, yeah, maybe the resurrection. No, those things are as solid as, as concrete and underneath our floor. We're not, we're not saying think differently about heaven or hell or, or salvation or the cross or the blood of Jesus. Please, that, that's just a given, I think, for most of us that are, that are grown up enough to understand that difference. Jesus was thinking of ways that in our in our practical, everyday, spiritual journey. I'm trying to move the needle. I'm trying to, I, I've got something big I want to do, but I can't do it unless you think differently. You remember when he came to, to Moses and said, Moses, I know that you're over here. I know that in your mind you're thinking, I'm a shepherd. I've blown it. There's no chance for me. I've murdered a guy. I'm a fugitive. I've been, uh, you know, on the run for 40, uh, for four decades. And, and, and then God comes along and says, no, I, I, I got something big, man. See, you speak Egyptian, so, and, and, and I need someone that can do that. And you got this holy discontent. You're really ticked off about how your people are being treated. All these great things. I mean, in his mind, he's like, man, Moses, please. Please, I, I, I won't pick you up and move you over there, but I need you to lead my people. Would you move? I can't do it, God. It was already in his mind. I can't do it, God. See, if he were really honest, he would say, God, you know, you know what happened 40 years ago? On the day I ran, I made my mind up. On the day I ran from God, I made my mind up. I, Moses, will never be used by God. That table is off limits for me. Can't you feel the heart of God? He would like, Moses, man, if I could, I'd just pick you up and put you over there and I'd make you do it. Just like we do our kids sometimes, right? But he said, I'm perfect and I won't cross that boundary. Same thing with Abraham. Man, Abraham, come on, man. I know, I know in your mind you think, okay, you got your AARP card. You think it's all over. 
You think, you know, uh, biologically the clock is spent. You, you, you got all that. But, man, I tell you what, I want to make a great nation. And I've watched you. But see, in his mind, it was already made up and his wife wasn't helping out because she was the laugh track of the whole story. She's laughing at God because I'm wise in my own eyes. What does God know? I've been there. Haven't you? I've been in those moments where I'm like, I think I, I, I know so much more than God. Probably of all the people, when you pick that moment, when God wants to lead a nation out of Egypt, when God wants to look at a man like Abraham and, and, and make something, a, 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 a new nation, probably when you look at all those intersections, and we could spend truly all day looking at those pivotal paradigm-shifting moments in the Scripture, at least the guy that comes to my mind that, that had his mind made up so many times is Peter. Don't you? I mean, there's so many times that Peter like, nope, mm-mm, not going that way. You remember when Jesus, in this tender moment, came around and washed the disciples' feet? Do you remember what Jesus said? Nope, mm-mm, not working. I'm, I'm not into that. Well, Peter, if I, if I don't wash your feet, then you're not part of me. Okay, then give me a shower. I'll take the whole thing. It's like, where was his mind? It always seemed to be, you know, like, have you ever been in a canoe where you're rowing and something's going wrong and you look back and somebody's rowing the other way? And it's like, that, that's, just, that's not really working for me. This was Peter. You remember him in the garden where Jesus said, they're coming and get me, man. This is the way it's going to roll out. And, uh, you know, as soon as they show up, if you had your mind in the right place, like, okay, let me just step aside because this is going to go down anyway. Nope. And took the sword out whack, to whack the guy's ear off. Like, man, I'm trying to see. I'm trying to tell you, Peter, that we got to move from over here to over here. Do you remember one of the most angry moments of Jesus's life when he said, Peter, here's the deal, man. I came to change the world. You see, the world is in a mess. I know you've seen it. And, and, and I've got, as a savior of the world, I've got to go to Jerusalem, and I've got to be killed. And, and I want, I got to, I've got to have you come with me. And immediately, immediately, Peter said, not, no way. And it's what, what Christ, he, he just had this moment, get behind me, Satan. You do not have the things in mind of God, but the things that you have in your mind are of men. And I wish so badly I could pick you up and move you over here. Because it's going to happen, Peter. I just want you to be with me. When I look at the life of Peter, there is this moment where God is about to, to scale up the operation. You see, we don't have time to get into it today. But when Jesus came, he first went to the Jewish people. There, there were a lot of reasons for that. God had entrusted to them the preservation of the word of God. And they actually did a very good job at that through the Old Testament. And we have the Bible, the Old Testament, uh, particularly in a very clean format because of the way they preserved it. Can't, can't get into it. But that they did well. They, they, the, the Messiah was going to come out of the Jewish line, out of the line of David, out of the line of Abraham. So when Christ came to the plan, he said, I owe it to these people to offer it to them first. And I'm going to go, and Jesus would often say, I'm going to go to the, to the synagogue first. I'm going to speak to my own, the Jewish people first, and give them first chance. But it wasn't always the plan. And so there came a time 
when Christ had died and he came back from the dead and he was getting ready to launch the church, that he began in the Jewish center of Jerusalem. But he said, but I got it. I want to scale this up. Because you remember in the early part of his, uh, of his life, Jesus walked into a, a synagogue. He read from the book of Isaiah. And he said, I'm going to be a light to, to, to the Gentiles. Now, if you don't know that language, I don't want to confuse you. There are the, the Jewish people and Gentiles broadly refer to those people who are not Jewish. And so even from the early part of his life, Jesus was giving a foreshadow. I'm going to scale this thing up. It's just not going to be for us. And so when we, when, when we see the life of, uh, of Peter, there, there are times where Jesus is trying to say, man, you've got to think bigger. You just can't think toward your own family and toward your own, your own uh, uh, Jewish people. It's going to go bigger. So after the resurrection in the first part of the, the book of Acts in chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus comes to his disciples, and Peter was there, of course. And he says, look, here's what's going to happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, we're going to go out, but you can tell from what's coming up that Peter's still thinking small. He's not, Jesus is saying, man, here's where we're at. We've been talking to a lot of our our, our Jewish brothers and sisters, but man, I'm going to go out and we're going to first start in Jerusalem. You get that, Peter, right? And then we're going to branch out and Judea, which was Jerusalem was in Judea. It's a region. And then Samaria, which was, you know, a little further out. But then we're going to go to the ends of the world. Peter, come on. Let's, I I went, man, I wish Ah, can you feel the hands of Jesus like, I want to pick him up. I feel that sometimes in my life, do you? That God could be just say, if, the, if he had created us with some kind of knob inside, just like a soundboard. Like you're saying, ah, Bill, okay, you're not going to do it, so I'll do it for you. It's not the God we have, but he began to give us a foreshadowing this was not a new concept, by the way. You know, Jesus, he did sit with a Samaritan, non-Jewish woman. He did sit, sit with a, a centurion and went into his home. He did sit with those and talk to those and, and give us a sense of, hey, I think he's, he's going to branch out here a little bit. I mean, he, ga- he gave us those, those fills. And in fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus said this. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. Now, he's speaking cryptically. I'm not sure we'd get it if we were sitting there. But he's kind of dropping some, some breadcrumbs that are going to lead to a new path. And he says, look, guys, I have other sheep that are not in the sheep pen. And I must bring them also. They, too, will listen to my voice. And we, there shall be one flock and one shepherd. He is speaking about this epic expansion to the whole world. Now, see, we're on the other side of it. It's not that big of a deal. Right. Most of us sitting in this room are Gentiles. So we're like, OK, yeah, we're in. But back in the day, it's um, it, God's trying to do something amazing. Now, I want you to think of your own life. There may be something that God is trying to move you to move your thinking. It might be small or you might think it's small. But Jesus may be trying to do something incredibly large in your life. And like, oh, I just want to uh, come on. I just want to pick you up and move you over there, but I won't. And he begins to try to impress on our thinking a different way of thought. Have you ever been there? 
Are you there right now? See, I'm convinced that God never slumbers nor sleeps, as we're told in the Psalms. But what I mean by that is I don't think he ever slumbers in wanting to move you from one point to the next, ever, ever. Gets a little tiring at sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. Like, God, come on, man. I just got from, I went from D to E, and that was a big move. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Let's go to F. That's the way God works. Let's go to F. So if you're sitting in the room thinking, you know, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm good where I'm at right now. Be careful you're not wise in your own eyes. Be careful that you're not listening to where God wants you to move and see what was happening here is that, that Jesus wanted to move these boys to a new location. All right. Now, just give me three minutes. I always like to tell you when we're going to go deep, and I like to tell you where there's a potential of you getting bored. It's the latter. You might be bored on the next three minutes, so if you want to break out a snack, that's pretty cool. Yeah, take a, take a couple of extra chugs of caffeine. That's pretty awesome. We're going to do a little geography. Here's a map. Now, this is a map of uh, uh, back in the day when, when uh, the disciples were getting ready to launch. And you'll see uh, on the bottom there, Jerusalem, and if we can go to the next slide. In the New Testament, this is, gonna, this is going to come up in your backyard. We're not just looking at an ancient map. It will make sense. In the New Testament, there are two centers. There was Jerusalem and there was Antioch. Jerusalem, of course, is where, where much of the, the, the Gospels, they, they navigated around there. And if we go to the next slide, you can, you'll see that this little square that I put up, this would be the area of Judea and, and Samaria. So when Jesus referred to it, hey, you guys are going to go from Jerusalem to Judea and, and Samaria. Judea is a region. Samaria is also a region. You see Bethlehem there and Nazareth, and Samaria is in between those. You'll just have to trust me on that, that fact, but they're in between those. But see, the rest of the world that you might see over here, Rome, Europe, Galatia, and all the, the Ephesus, and, and uh, Corinth, and uh, Thessalonica, and, and Philippi, and all the uh, names that you recognize in the Bible, if you've ever read. See, this is where, where God was like, hey, I want to scale it up. But I, wanna, I, I need to bring a new player on the field, and, and because you guys have been in this area, but see, I, I'm ready to go, man, here we go. This is the here we go moment that, that Jesus is like coming along, and so I'm going to have a new, uh, a new area and a new person, and that new area was Antioch. And so if you go to the next slide, you'll see that from Antioch, this is where Paul and team left from so often, and they said, man, we're going to cover the rest of the world. If you did a quick read-through of the book of Acts, you could do that this afternoon. You'll, you'll see how this transfers. There's a transfer, how we start in Jerusalem, but Antioch becomes the new center, okay? End of class. Uh, just I wanted to bring you up to, to snuff because it, it, it makes a, a difference in here. Now, someone came up on the scene. His name was Paul, and many of you uh, recognize the name. Paul was going to be in Antioch. That was going to be his center. And he was the guy that was going to take this to the world. His mission was to the Gentiles. This is where Jesus was like, man, this is the guy. But before he sent Paul out to the world from Antioch, he said, I've got to have this team ready in Jerusalem. Because if I don't, if I can't change their thinking, 
then what is going to happen is this conflict of the new way I'm thinking, going to go to the Gentiles, going to go to the world, going to use a guy like Paul, who was a murderer at the time, uh, just a small you know, little footnote there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this way, but see, if I don't get these guys in, you know what's going to happen? It's never happened in church before. Conflict. It's a big one. So I've got to get this guy, Peter, to start thinking different. And can you imagine... Would Jesus, if he said, just in a, in a you know, private moment, okay, for in order this to work, I got to convince Pete. Dang it. I mean, truly, right? I mean, if it were John, okay, the guy's pretty soft-hearted, man. You know, I say, John, we're moving out. Quick, gotcha. No problem. You can feel it from the reading in between the lines of the New Testament. But Peter... This is going to be tough. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We will give him a high-def vision from heaven. Living color. And what we see, now we've traveled in the book of Acts. Paul shows up in Acts chapter 9. And what we're about to see is in Acts chapter 10. You see, Jesus already has the player in place. Don't ever tell me that God is not a strategizer. He's a strategist, strategery person. He's like, okay, I got Paul in place. Man, this guy sold out. He's ready to go to the non-Jewish people. Just got to get this guy, Peter, in, in place. And so what we see in Acts chapter 10 is the tale of two men. One who is open-minded to God footnote, happens to be a Gentile, and one who is closed-minded, who's got it all figured out. This guy who's open-minded, he is is searching for God. This guy over here, Peter, who's closed-minded, he's searching for God. This guy over here, Cornelius is his name, he's not only searching for God, but when we come upon him in the story, he's praying When we see Peter, whose mind is closed, not only is he following God, but he's praying. God is showing us in this story that you can be traveling towards God and praying and singing and listening and doing all those things. And yet, mm, you might be stuck over here. And so God begins to say, okay, let me me jump down and I'm going to talk to Cornelius. And I'm going to send an angel and I'm going to say, hey. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to send two servants, and I want you to send them over to this, this Jewish guy. And I know you guys aren't talking right now. You don't even know the guy. But here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to watch. I want you to watch the immediacy of the response. Because the immediacy of response, the rate of response, often shows what's really in our heart at the moment. Can I repeat that? When God says, hey, I need you to go now. The rate of our response is an indicator of what's in our heart. Like, ah. Or is it, yes, sir. Big difference. Watch. An angel is sent to Cornelius. He says, hey, I want you to send some guys over there. I want you to get this guy and bring him back to your house. 
Acts chapter 10, verse 7, when the angel spoke to Cornelius, had, had gone. Cornelius had called two of his servants automatically, no hesitation, no argument, no mindset that's frozen. He called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened. And he sent them to Joppa right away where Peter was. He said, man, I just heard from God. I was praying. I was seeking him. I'm like, hey, go now. There is no indication whatsoever that Cornelius was stuck over here. God said, move. It's like, you bet. It was about that fast. I need you to send two soldiers and two, two and an attendant. No problem. This right here, do you know what it represents? A change of, a change of mind. An open mind. An open mind. All right, on the other side of town in Joppa, meanwhile... We got Peter. Now here's a guy that one would think, that one would think that for heaven's sakes, he's walked with the Messiah. He's walked on water. He has been at the mountaintop. He has seen the dead raised from, from, from the grave. He has seen the lepers touched. He has seen the Samaritan, the centurion. He has seen the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He's actually been with Christ. He of all people should say, man, things are changing. And Jesus, he sends a vision down and, he, and, and as a symbol of change, he said, now I know you're a Jewish boy and I know you got a, a restricted menu. But I want you to, I'm going to send this thing down. The vision came and high def of this blanket of these, un, these foods that were not on the Jewish menu. And what it represents is I need you to change your mind because if you're stuck in these rules and regulations, you're not, you're not going to move. And so he, he lowers th this blanket with all these unedible, un inedible things for a Jew to eat. And I want you to look at the immediacy of his response in Acts chapter 10, verse 13. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill these animals and eat immediately. Surely not. No, I'm not going to do it. I can name three of the worst moments in my life. It's too private to share, truly, on a Sunday morning. Where distinctly, I could hear God and the impression of God like, Steve, come on. No. No. I am not, God. I'm sorry. I'm not. And I think the older you get and the more you've said no to God. Come on. We've all said no to God. The more you've said no to God and suffered the consequences, the more you say, Wow. I don't want to do that too many more times, quite frankly. I don't want to do that. And he said, no, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, this is the moment where humility is required. It's what I'm calling this morning the humility of the paradigm shift. Oh, it takes a lot for us, does it not? As human beings, once this arm goes here and this arm goes here, 
and these elbows go down. <laughs> and we've uttered that awful two-letter word. No! <laughs> to raise those elbows back up and to move this hand and to move this hand and at least say maybe. It takes a lot of decrease of our pride. See, the, the Proverbs say it this way in, in chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool seems right to him. See, that seems so right to Peter. No, this is not right. But a wise man listens to advice. Now, when you pair that to another proverb, look at this. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Well, we were already told that a wise man listens. So with humility, we began to listen. It requires humility for us to listen. I'm reading a tremendous book. It's called Resilience. I've mentioned it a couple times by a guy named Eric Greitens, a former uh, Navy SEAL. It's not a Christian book. I always like to warn people there's a few choice words, so if that... If, if that sinks your boat, then you, you wouldn't want to read it. But I talked to someone on Friday night like, man, I got the book. I got six copies, and I'm going through it with another guy. It's, 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 it's just a lot of truth and principles in that book. And in this book, honestly, I have gone back to this page. I'm going to give you an excerpt from. I've gone back to this page about 50 times. No joke. I have circled it. I have underlined it. I have underlined it. I have circled it. And because I was, so, I marveled at the pairing of what the author does. Watch. He says these words. Now, this is an ex-Navy SEAL. He says, at the, at the, at every day, I begin with humility, I act with humility, and I end with humility. And here's the pairing. Humility leads to clarity. I thought, wow, that's profound. Let me read the rest. I'll circle back. Humility leads to an open mind. With an open mind, I see every person as superior to me in some way. With every person as my teacher, I grow in wisdom. In other words, what he's saying is that if, I, if my mind is full, wise in my own ways, with here's how I do it, here's how I always do it, even though it's not working all that great, I'm still going to do it that way, and I'm doing it all that way, then there is no clarity at all. My glasses are fogged with my own opinions, with my own perspectives, and I'll never move forward by, by, by having my own opinion, perspectives on on, on things, not the fundamentals of, the, of theology, I'm not getting to that, but how we operate, all those everyday things. Now, there's a moment here that I, I think about Jesus, and I, I, was, I was thinking about this the other night at our dinner table. And uh, the conversation came up one time at our dinner table, like, uh, hey, Dad, and we were talking amongst ourselves. They said, hey, if the, the conversation was this. If you were a superhero, what superpower would you have? You, if you could only have one superpower. Because our kids play these games and, you know, one can throw hail and one can throw fire and ice and they do all different things. And, and somebody said, well, I, I'd fly. That'd be my superpower. One of our kids said, I'd fly. And, and then the other one said, well, I can out throw balls of fire, something like that. And, and then, then what happens like, well, no problem. See, because I, I can fly away from your, the fire, right? And it's like, oh, no, I'll fly so fast, I'll put your fire out. And then it goes back and forth, you know, back and forth, back and forth. Because they really thought, man, they got the best superpower. So it came around to me, hey, Dad, what superpower would you have? I said, there's a superpower I'd have. I'd have the power to take all the superpowers from every superpower hero. 
I win. <laughs> when you read close between the lines, even Jesus didn't have the super power to change your mind. Now, as a pastor, I'm going to speak to you for a second. I read certain passages like this, Luke chapter 3, 34. When Jesus, probably standing at a height looking over Jerusalem, not angry, but having the advantage of looking over the banister of heaven at Jerusalem, century after century after century, and seeing how just can't get them to move. And he's looking at Jerusalem, and I want you to hear the, the, the sadness and the angst. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. That's how I know where he's at. He just didn't say, hey, Jerusalem. He said, oh. You can steal it, right? If you were a script writer, you'd write it this way. If you wanted to capture that emotion. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He loved the city. He loved the people in the city. You who killed the prophets and stoned those who, sent, who were sent to you. How often I have longed to gather you, your children together as a, as a mommy. As a hen gathers her chicks under his wings, but I could not move you. You can feel the pain in Christ's heart. Christ, listen, doesn't change the way he felt about Jerusalem then. There are times he feels that about us. That, oh, Steve, man, ah, oh, but you weren't willing As a pastor, I'm telling you, it is all about movement. It is all about movement. If a person moves in their needle in their journey from a 3.6 to a 3.7, honestly, there are times I'll gather our staff and like, God, listen to this story. It's awesome. It's beautiful. There's been movement. And the most difficult times for us as leaders, as shepherds, we're like, oh, man, stuck stuck here there and i i want to break this out if you would allow me into to the practical realm for a second what types of things over many years have i have i seen now this might be you god moving you in a very personalized way i'm going to talk about bigger spiritual ways but there may be times where you a personalized way there's someone sitting in my close proximity that i call this week and i apologize to them because I asked him a question, and I'm like, and all week long, it was just bothering me. And it's one of those things where it's, I, I got to call and apologize. What? I didn't even think anything about it. But I did it for one reason. Because God was whispering. It's movement. It happens even at the, uh, at the top level. Who am I? I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. I just happen to be standing a foot higher than you are, whatever. It happens at all, uh, with all of us, Right? Here's some of the things that's over the years. 
life in Christ, man, what I mean by that is trying to get people to change their mind that life in Christ as opposed to life in the world without Christ. There may be people here today thinking, I don't know, it's just a religion to me, this whole Christianity thing is just like Islam, it's like anything else. It's not. It's not. Christ is alive. He's unique from every religious leader in the world because he came back from the dead. And he's alive. And he wants to live in you. There's life in Christ. We're just going to go through these. Created to be worshipers. I'll circle back around. Let's just keep going through the list. Relational depth. Tribal Jersey, local church, multiplying as the jazz, learning to be, not just to do, and finally sacrificial living and giving. When I, when I, I've talked to people like, man, it's not about all information. It's about man, you're worshiping God, and it's hard. It's romance, relational depth. That's all we talk about. I'm sure if you've been around for a long time, you're like, man, I'm getting tired of it. Oh man, when I see 100% of you, I'll quit quit talking about it. But. <laughs> But relational depth, going through the discipleship and coming off Sunday morning and moving people. And I'm telling you, there are tears when people move from. The, you think, oh, it's not a big deal. I just joined a small group. I shed tears over that. When I see movement, I was like, oh, cool. Because it, it, it's the local church is what I mean by tribal jersey of like getting in and not being peripheral. And, and I said it before, man, I love ministries uh, uh, around the city. I love them and support them. And, but there's something unique about the local church. It's not perfect. You might have been in a small group, but not may not have worked out right. Maybe you got in an argument with somebody or somebody killed your cat on the way out of the driveway. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever, whatever. I got all that. I know that. I'm not proposing, well, I get in a small group. Your life is perfect, man. Of course not. But there is a relational depth within the local church that God and man, when people move in there, I'm like, yes, multiplying is the jazz, 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 jazz. <laughs> As I put the turn the reverb up on that one, man. When you're multiplying, I'm, I've seen it over and over. I'm seeing it more in our discipleship, the track called Exchange. We got about a hundred people. Now we're in the second generation. We got a do, we got about a dozen people who've gone through disi- as disciples, and now they're becoming disciple makers. Woo! That's jazz. And I'm just not excited about it. The people that are going through it. My mom, 87, is now seeing her 82 year old disciple that they finished. Now looking for a disciple. Ka-ching! That's in the Bible. Learning to be, not just to do, oh, we're so busy. And when people say, man, I'm going to dig down. I'm going to learn how to be. Oh, gosh. And sacrificial living. We think, oh, we're alone with so much. I'm like, oh, can you just give a tithe? It's a beautiful thing. You get to keep 90%. God. And God's like, oh. I wonder if God would just ever say, fine, I'll just move the whole darn table. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay, quickly, watch this. Finally, Peter goes, he says, okay, God, God had to do it three times. You know, it's in the vision three times, didn't get it, that's Peter. And so finally he goes in, he goes into this Gentile's house. And the first thing he says in Acts chapter 10, verse 27, Peter went inside. He found a large gathering of people, mainly Gentiles, and he said to them, you know, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or even visit him. You know, I'm, I'm off bounds here. I'm out of bounds. Just want to let you know, I just want to say that. But God has shown me. This is why God used Peter. Even though he's rough around the edges a little bit, he knew eventually Peter would say, yes. No problem. Now watch. This is where I, I have to laugh. You have to read the Bible carefully sometimes to get a, get a little chuckle or two. God has shown me that I should not call anything, any man or impure or unclean. Even men back in the Bible days, they posed. Watch this. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. 
But then he says, may I ask you why you sent me the moment of humility? The moment of humility. Where he's not wise in his own eyes, making statements, but he's like, okay, what is it you want? That's the moment of humility. When you say, God, okay. I'm open. I'm open. So watch this. Gonna move quick. Don't forget, this was part of a big epic story. It was only one guy. But see, the problem is those back in Jerusalem, they thought just like Peter. So now Peter's got a job. But God couldn't move the entire Jerusalem clan over here until he convinced the hardest guy, Peter. Now Peter's gonna watch what happens, it's gonna explode. Peter went back to Jerusalem and the circumcised believers, the Jewish ones, they criticized him. Ah, you went in there and it's against the rules. You can't do that. See, they had the same mindset and said, you went to the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. And so Peter lays it out. He said, oh, no, God's convinced me. I went in there. Actually, the food's pretty cool. I had a falafel. You got to try it out or whatever it was. But, but, I, but God opened my eyes, man. These guys are hot for God. And don't you remember when Jesus did this and this, this and this, this, and he said this and go to the ends of the earth, man. It's happening, guys. And he convinced them. It's never about one person. It's not about you and your little personal life getting in a little personal small group. You may be there that God say, man, I want you to get in a small group because there's someone who's desperately waiting for someone to be a friend. And when you're a friend with them, maybe they'll open up. We've seen it over and over and over. Sometimes we think it's just that small. Oh, it was just like, okay, fine, I went in. No, no, no. Now you got to convince these guys. And so we went in and convinced them. And when the Jews heard this in Acts 10, 18, they had no further objections when they praised God. So then God even granted Gentiles, even the Gentiles, repentance to life. And God's like, we're on a roll, man. We're on a roll. Now watch this, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, Acts 7, travel as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, went, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch, it's going to be the new center, and began to speak to the Greeks also, non-Jewish people, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now watch what happens in Jerusalem. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and had they not been changed of their minds by a guy named Peter, they would say, shut it down. God understands strategy. So they're out here at Antioch and word gets back here to these boys and like, oh man, you know what? They're all, they're talking to the Gentiles. So watch what they do because Peter was changed. He went back and changed their minds. And so what happens is news reached the, the church of Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas who was going to be Paul's right-hand man to Antioch. And when he arrived, they saw the evidence of God's grace. He was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of Gentiles were brought to the Lord. Thank you, Peter, for saying yes. It was so much bigger than this man. It was an epic story. It is so often. Now, when we talk about this concept, man, we're like... 
man, we're, we're, I, I don't know if you're like me, probably not because you'd be kind of weird if you did what I'm doing, like, you know, jumping up and down screaming right now. But I get worked up about this because I'm like, man, just one person who says yes can truly change other people who change other people a culture truly you may think i'm just i'm just a little just kind of working monday through friday and no god can change if you just say yes and move and have the humility of a paradigm shift but it is often it's great to stay up here in the conceptual but it's often the real things your bank account your busy schedule, your kid's busy schedule. It's those real things that kind of boop, pops the bubble when you leave church and like, ah, well, that was awesome, but I can't do anything about it. But you can. Last Sunday, I told you we celebrated our ninth year at 360. We launched nine years ago in an elementary school. And I'm not looking for a trophy or any trumpet to be blown. But I had said no to God enough that when he impressed on me, this is, this is truly what I want. I wasn't about to say no. Quite frankly, I was too afraid to. It sounded great on paper. But I had two little eye, sets of eyes looking at me brought a picture of them on the first day of 360. I was responsible for them. I had no salary. I had no insurance for these little babies. You see, it's the practical things that take something as epic as what we've been talking about and... <laughs> Okay, I'm not doing that. I'm not eating that. It's the practical things in your life. Your schedule, your job, whatever that thing that is like, okay, that was cool in church, but I, now I'm down to my... No, it's all the same. And there's a time we have to look at those. Our first Sunday, this is what the nursery looked like. That was my youngest son. He was the only one there. I was so deeply encouraged after our launch. This is going great. I'm so glad I quit my job. Woo! We're on a roll now. And I go back home that day, and I'm looking at these little guys. I'm like, I don't know, God. This is really scary, man. And God said, look, you said yes, all right? I will take care of you. And then you hear those two loving words that God can only whisper. Shut up. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are that you would even call us, God. And so, in a very simple way, we say to you, yes. If we can, perhaps right now we can't, perhaps we're too scared. But I pray for your Holy Spirit to move in us when we're looking at the practical things in our life. 
that just keep us on that, that one table. And you would reach down and pick us up and move us if you could. But you've left that to us. How scary and how loving. Father, open our hearts that we might say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.